0: Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. This is exciting for me. I have the whole band Toad the Wet Sprocket here. Todd Nichols, Dean Dinning, Glenn Phillips. And uh, I have known these guys for 30 years, I realize. And uh, we all were like kids when we met. Glenn, you were like prepubescent, basically. (laughs) Still is. (laughs) And um, I asked Glenn to do this because I guess it's your 30th anniversary as recording artist, which means, you know, it's, it's our 30th anniversary too. I was thinking about this. Um, when I saw you guys play here in New York, I guess a year ago or a year and a half ago, as soon as we all are in a room together, it's like time has just disappeared. Um, and I was thinking about why and, and I get wistful about how both how like sure of ourselves we all were and how little we actually knew. Um, when you think about it compared to now, but we also understood certain essential things. So how does that time when you were, had just recorded Bread and Circus, you had um, recorded Pale, but it wasn't out yet at all in any way, not even on cassettes for your friends. How does that time sit for you guys? Because I imagine it was the, like, the very last moment where it was just you guys and, and your dream. When, like when you think back to those days, how does it, how does it land for you? It's hard
1: to remember, honestly. I mean, it's so long ago, and in some ways, we're so unformed. And I think generally there was a lot of, uh, you know, how can I say, happy bafflement. Like, we didn't expect, you know, we made these records kind of assuming we were going to break up at the end of that summer. Um, and I was going to go to San Francisco. We were going to go to different schools. Like, we were. Just gonna have these couple records and you know, play them for our kids someday. And then the next thing we knew, um, we were talking to record companies and getting signed and getting wined and dined and all of that. So it was a really weird experience. Like it was a dream, but I think for us there's a like most bands have that as a dream that they are actively working towards and expecting and hoping to achieve. And we had it as this, like we'd already given, like it wasn't going to happen to us, and then all of a sudden it did, and so I think we were. It was a little
0: confusing. Todd, I mean, you were. <laughs> did you feel the same? You were. I you guys a are co- right. Guys, that's I what I want to know.
1: Tell-
2: guys, mm. They were going to college, and I was just, I was cutting college to you know write songs and figure out where we were going to play, where you know the next gig would be for us. And uh, I think I, I always had more optimism about us being successful.
3: How, I kind of thought that the, I kind of felt that the band would be successful too because I always felt I was the kind of the last person in, and I always felt like if I were not in the band that I would be a fan of of this music because I just I liked everything about it. It was right up my alley. It had the acoustic guitars, you know, it had the harmonies. It was everything that I liked and and the great songs. So it was kind of like it seemed like. It seemed like it could be a possibility. It was worth going for. But, I mean, I had a plan B and stayed in school right up until the moment we signed our record deal.
0: So, how old were the two of you, Todd and Dean, when you made when you first came together as a band?
2: Well, we're the same age. Uh, I don't know. We were probably 17.
0: Yeah,
3: 17.
2: And so, how old were you then? Uh, was, Three years younger, right? Yeah, it was 14 when you and I started
1: writing songs. Yeah. And, and then we th- went through a few, like, really early... You know, early versions and lineups, and then kind of got it together as
0: mm-hmm. Toad. And you made you made Bread and Circus. <clears throat> you were still a, you were senior in high school, Glenn. Probably I didn't do this. Se- I I got out uh,
1: uh, early, but I was probably 16 when you recorded
0: that. Yeah, 16 when or you recorded 17. that record. And t- Todd, when you were writing those songs, were you? because the the two of you started writing it was the two of you writing together were you writing in the same room then or were you doing the thing where you would write some Even riffs and then, then show them to glenn you No, know,
2: i had a little four track cassette and uh, glenn wrote the is a lyric guy and uh, i would show him some chords and stuff and say just write some lyrics really quick so we can record this and uh, yeah and then you would go off Glenn and write the lyrics?
1: Yeah, unless we were trying to record really quick. I mean, there's, you know, the story is like, you know, Walk on the Ocean is one of those ones where it was like, we're cutting a demo and it's like, instead of waiting another day for me to write something good, it's just
2: like, I said, write some down. lyrics just really quickly. And he seriously wrote those right in front of me in seven minutes, I think. Really? So Yeah, Walk on the Ocean. I kept wanting a second draft.
0: Cause, <laughs> but... I mean, that, that lyric is one of the best lyrics you ever wrote, actually. Well, it it does that incredible thing. Apparently has, when I get out of my own way. Well that's, it's, well, that's what I wanted to talk about. I want you guys to play Walk on the Ocean a little while, but that, and and that's part of why I asked you all to be here because I it, it always drives me crazy. You know, my history with the band, which you guys know and people don't necessarily know. Um Glenn, you and I podcasted and, but our conversation went off in a very different direction. Um is I was a young talent scout for a record company and I was one of the first people to hear the band, and I immediately sort of understood how great you were. And I started proselytizing about the band right from that moment on, and stayed completely connected with all of you, and particularly, you know, Glenn. You and I have spent a lot of time together, um, never Seen not all been... your apartments. Yes, you've <laughs> stayed on the couch of every one of my apartments I've ever had. Um, that's for sure. Uh, but it drives me a little crazy that people don't understand. Uh, you know, you guys are popular, you tour, you still sell out these places that you play. You're playing in, in New York tonight. But uh, for me, um, I think people don't understand, you know, you know it's, it's easy for people to write off the, the idea of bands from the time period that you guys were making this music. And I think it's a travesty because I think you're one of the best bands, uh, best songwriters of the time. And... Um, uh, but when I hear, Glenn, you said I'd written this down to ask, when you say, to me, it was sort of a, a lark, like I thought I was going to go on, and then these two guys are both like, well, not us. And I, I think that that it might be to, a lot of
1: the band dynamic right there.
0: <laughs> I, I think my connection to you guys lets me have some insight into the fact that, like, it, it seems you always had this ambivalence about the commercial part of this, whereas the, the two of you did not. And... Can you talk a little bit about what what you'd hoped for out of it, really? I just, I liked making
1: art. I mean, when we started, I was in theater and was going to be a theater major. I, I mean, I think I told you about my experience with my drama teacher who, had, you know, was a teacher because he didn't want to have to sell himself. And I, at 16, like felt like that rang true for me. Like I didn't think I would be able, and, and there's some truth in it. Like actually the exposure of being in a band has been really hard psychologically for me. Uh, I mean, and so I felt like I was too thin skinned to be in that or sensitive to, uh, have that kind of exposure. And so I decided early on I was going to be a teacher and, um, so, being in the band, making art, creating things, I, I love. Uh, but that ambition, that need to be on top, I just didn't have. And so, or to be seen in that way, or to compete in that way, I didn't want to have to do that. And so, uh, for me, it, you know, we found ourselves in that world and, you know, didn't say no, obviously, but.
2: I, I, this, is that kind yeah, of the way you what you were asking? What
0: were your ambitions, really, for the I thing?
2: remember ever since I was like 10 watching the monkeys on TV, I knew that, you know, this would be a pretty cool job. <laughs> Apart from living with uh, the band in a little place. Yeah,
0: right. <laughs> Apart from, like, being in vans yeah. all the time. But you mean you wanted to play music for your life and be on stage, Todd. You felt that would work.
2: I thought it was, you know, something I could do.
0: But you have a great voice. Why didn't you want to be a lead singer? Originally, like, what was it about the collaboration that you were? I don't into? really have
2: much to say, you know. Lyrically, and it's like, you mean. yeah, lyrically, and uh, you know, that's why uh, it worked out well with uh, co-writing with Glenn. I can't shut up, <laughs> right? Yes. So that, you're saying that you didn't feel like you had much
0: to say lyrically.
2: Yeah, and also, you know, I didn't want to put myself out there as much, kind of like what Glenn was talking about. So this was a way you could do that,
0: yeah, and be sort of in a in the spotlight, but also have somebody else be out front. Yeah, that's an
2: interesting dynamic. Yeah, I I never felt like the front man, you know. So,
0: and but what about then the songs that you sing? Do you like when you sing crazy? You know, do you like?
2: Well, when I would write the songs, I would just come along a melody, and so Glenn just kind of forced me to sing a couple of these songs. You know, over the years on on each record or. A song here or there it's not it's not something i really enjoyed but it's fun now looking back on it as something i did
0: yeah. I always say to him, Crazy Crazy Life's
2: one of my favorite toad songs. Yeah, um, I love that song. Uh, it's just an amazing song.
0: And I love that he wrote those fucked up lyrics to that song. I was song, to their am Like, what are we
2: gonna do with this?
3: <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize that it's Todd singing. If they don't know ahead of time, they'll just it's sort it's sort of seamless with the rest of the material. Um most a lot of people are surprised when they come to the show and then they have to sort of turn to their left to see Todd <laughs> sing that song. It's mm-hmm. like what yeah we kind of learn to
1: sing around each other so i think there's a
0: similarity and inflection and there's what's the song you sing on the first or second record
3: nothing is alone i think about yeah i think about i think about i
0: I will say i didn't know that it wasn't glenn singing i think about until much later they used years later their
3: voices were much more similar back in the early days yeah glenn Um, used
2: to have a husky voice sounds totally different than his voice and it does sound
3: closer to yours
2: yeah Back on those early day. records. And what yes. were your ambitions, Dean,
0: at the beginning?
3: Well, you know, my family's been in the music business since the 1940s. So in what it way? was, it, you know, my my dad's three sisters were a, a, a close harmony trio called the Dinning Sisters. They were contemporaries of the Andrews Sisters. My dad took them to Chicago when they were teenagers, uh, got them signed to NBC. They performed live on the radio on a show called the National Barn Dance and performed with Bing Crosby and made records and did the whole thing. And so that was, it, had already, it was already in the blood of my family. There were many people that had done it. Um, my uncle Mark Dinning had a number one song with Teen Angel in 1960. Um, my Aunt Dolores was on the Hee Haw television show as a backup singer That's for amazing. the entire run of it. So <laughs> yes. I would go to my aunt and uncle's house and there were like gold records on the wall. And I'd be like,
0: not only do I want that record, I want this house. Right, you wanted the whole thing. I wanted the whole thing. And you were and, and you said that when you heard their songs, the beginnings of their oh, songs. Oh yeah, I
3: came in originally, they I had, did it, yeah, had the band they had come they together. had done
0: some demos that had a bunch of keyboard parts on
3: it, and everybody knew that I played piano because I had done this masochism tango thing, this Tom oh, Lair yeah. song. And you were and all in
0: the same high school. Yeah, so mm-hmm. they knew that
3: I was competent on keys and, and, uh, and so I came in to essentially recreate the keyboard parts that were on the demos live and then I just stayed. Right at least and then switched playing, I was playing bass bass. At the time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I was a terrible bass player. Dean could actually stay As <laughs> opposed to your monstrous guitar, as opposed to the monstrous guitar I work. was pretty bad at all of it. We all <laughs> were bad. No, that's not true. You you guys were great musicians from the no. beginning, I think. I, was, I think Dean, I mean, I remember the first Dean time might have been. seeing you guys, and Dean was a really very good I musician. Sometimes, so you know,
3: it's one of those things where you're a product of your limitations. You know, I think that... Uh, the not not being able to shred really was mm-hmm. beneficial for us because it put the emphasis on the songs, and you know there's a certain simplicity about Toad songs that, and you know people can learn guitar by playing these mm-hmm. songs, just like I learned guitar by playing Eagle songs. Yeah, like right.
1: Todd's Todd's parts were always about air and tone, and like letting notes linger, and how you know it's like always about that, and I just got good at sitting back and rhythm guitar and got you know it's like we we developed
0: well you did develop your own around each other yeah
2: I don't think we developed it until maybe the Coil record or even the last record we did in 2012 we were just kind of uh, you know just doing our own thing faking it I think we got a lot better as we after we broke up
0: yeah well the I mean I do think that the last record is an incredible I mean you know I'm a full on like Fanatic for the last record, I could sing you all the songs. Um, but I do think that you found this. I would say as a listener, I think you found the sound early on. Um,
1: well, and coming back to it, we actually got to ask what the sound was, which was something we never asked. I mean, it's weird. I think of like a band like the Pixies, like yes. where I feel like the Pixies when they started. They were just counting. It's like no one's going, well, it's three bars of six, eight, plus a bar of seven. I think Frank Black was just like, I wrote this. And then they'd all kind of bang through it and make it work. And then you could tell when it started getting to, like, Trompe Le Monde, like the Bossa Nova, the last albums, they'd all learned a lot about music. And there was this difference in... I mean, there was this sophistication to all their playing. They understood what they were doing, and it changed the sound in a, in a way that, you know, and I, I is don't it know, ba- I feel Is like
0: that better, though? I mean, to me, Surfer I, don't think Rosa, think it's better I saw the Surfer Surfer And I saw Bone Machine. I mean, they came out and played Bone Machine, and I'd never seen anything like that in my life. I barely understood it, actually. I was yeah. standing with the guy who signed them. Pete and Luben. I don't know if they did. Right. You mean it was just, they just um, a form of prim- primitive art, in a way.
2: Youthful yeah. exuberance and... Uh... Just not caring what you're doing. You mm-hmm. know.
1: And we weren't that interesting, but <laughs> I would say that there's there's a difference in like that as as we got along, we did what we were capable of and what we could make work, and then at some point almost reverse-engineered it after we'd actually learned to play a but little.
0: But don't you think you were taking it, because what, taking uh, the doing of it pretty seriously back then in terms of trying your very, very, very best? I What I remember, yeah. and even when I go back and listen to those records, is like... Those words are really carefully written. The melodies and the harmonies are very clearly thought out. And it does seem like it was the work of people trying to take this super seriously. Is that not what you felt, Todd?
2: You know, I think the music was serious. Uh, I think we uh, had a good sense of humor, though. It wasn't all seriousness. Well, yeah, their songs are some funny songs. I mean, Corporal Brown's funny. <laughs> yeah, we had a few fun songs. But we were also always trying to reduce, like...
1: Our songs were short. I remember always cutting out, like, any extra repetition, anything that felt like fat. Like, we were always trying to get to the core of, like, say what needs to be said, say it as succinctly as possible and as well as possible,
0: musically and lyrically. How did you uh, get... Bread and Circus recorded because you were all still like 21, and Glenn, you were 17.
3: We had a friend
0: who became uh,
3: one of our managers. His name was Brad Knack, and he saw us perform live at a club and uh, asked us to back him up in the studio. He was a songwriter. He had a, a publishing deal with Warner Chapel, and um, he um, he had a uh, he knew had a friend who had a recording studio and asked us to back him up on two of his songs and. To as payment, we could record two of our songs. So we recorded the first two songs um, for Bread and Circus, and it was a what was it? Was it fifteen dollars an hour? But we uh, we we would go to this house in Thousand Oaks and set up live in, in various rooms, and and throw it down onto two inch sixteen track. Um, no automation in the on the board or anything. We were all all hands on deck. You to know mix. when, when, yeah, we, were, yeah, when we were doing the mixes, but um, you know we. I just kind of couldn't believe how good it sounded. It was the first time we'd heard ourselves really well recorded. Now, some of the things had been demoed. Todd got an eight track uh, Fostex machine very early on. And my parents were, uh, were older. They were going away a lot when, in the, during that time. So our house would become a recording studio whenever they would leave for two or three weeks. And we, we did all these incredible demos of way away and pale blue and, and you know everything else. So we were th- things were really solidified by the time time we got in there and we really just threw it down live. Mm-hmm. We heard these first two songs back and we're like, you know, eight more and we've got ourselves a cassette that we can sell because most of our friends couldn't get in to see us live. They were they were the same age we were and we weren't old enough to get into the clubs either.
0: Right. I mean, you guys weren't even 21 yet. No, no. not even. Mm-mm.
3: So, you know, we just, we did the other eight songs and, and um, cost 600 it cost
0: bucks? $650 total. And did you even Glenn know that it was good? Like when it was done, like were you surprised that your Voice sounded that good And that the whole thing Felt like A real album We were
1: happy with it I mean and, And even the voice Sounded good Like we cut Live lead vocals There's no We didn't overdub the lead vocals and get them right which is why like one little girl it's like one little bio <laughs> like there's biffed words and we didn't even know you could overdub sour notes or you could no, cut
2: that, tape no 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 that we really we was all the harmony
1: overdubs I thought
0: yeah we did a couple of overdubs <laughs> I'm
1: exaggerating a but little bit but the first bit, two but, records but were <laughs> basically cut live right. I mean you know we just went in and played them
0: so I saw you play for the first time right after Bread and Circus had people started getting Bread and Circus. You came to L.A., I happened to be out there and you guys played a a gig there and then I drove to Santa Barbara soon thereafter for that night that we all met in that restaurant. Um, And the first song I saw you perform was Way Away, which is also the song that opens that album. Would you guys play it in case people don't know it?
4: Five frozen sympathy with their white wash eyes, ladies feigning their mourning cries, and the men shaking hands. It hurts to run away from the crowd mourn all alone Make a promise to no one Wondering if you'd been worthwhile Turn away from the chatter And the hungry smile
0: Yeah, I mean, that's just so awesome. I mean, you guys haven't played that song together in a while, and you just crush it. Zip recruiter Let's just talk about Zip recruiter for a second. I, I can say this to you. Uh, it is hard to hire the right person for the job. I just know when I'm trying to fill crew positions, when I'm trying to fill positions in the writer's room. We started today, the writer's room for season five of Billions, and... I'm so happy with the room put together, but it was really difficult. Look, if you're going through just like random applications for jobs, uh, there are just too many applicants. It's hard to find qualified candidates. Really difficult. But ZipRecruiter, ziprecruiter.com moment is a, a hugely effective way to sort of cut through all of that. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As the applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and immediately spotlights the top candidates so if there is a great match, when there is, you don't miss it. But ZipRecruiter is so effective, four to five employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day and right now my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address ZipRecruiter.com slash moment that's ZipRecruiter.com slash m-o-m-e-n-t ZipRecruiter.com slash moment ZipRecruiter the smartest way to hire uh, so great and I'm just brought back to this thing that 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 happened to you when you came to LA played those that gig or a couple gigs um, and suddenly, the entire record business, I guess you'd recorded Pale around that time also, yeah. right? You recorded the two things.
1: Yeah, we are just finishing Pale.
0: Right, and I remember hearing Come Back Down Off Pale um, and knowing, okay, these guys, are they're gonna write hit songs and this is all gonna work, but what did it feel like, Todd, why don't you go first, Like, what did it feel like when you play those gigs in LA, you go back to Santa Barbara, and suddenly, every single record company, except the one that I worked for, <laughs> wants right that's, right. right, that's what happened. The reason I got to be friends with you guys was because Electorate very passed. quickly, you chose me, and then I went to elect my bosses, and they were like, we're not gonna sign this band, uh-huh. and then I could advise you on what to, like. then we started talking, and I would we talk to your manager, <laughs> try to help advise you what to do, because I couldn't, I was out of the picture.
3: I think that was probably the way it was supposed to go.
0: You know, at the end of the day. Yeah. Oh well. Yes. I'm, yeah. I wouldn't change any no, of that uh-uh. because you guys became successful and my life went in the right direction. And exactly. We all got to be, you know, I, I, Glenn's daughter Zola is here and she feels like family to me because of that and wouldn't have otherwise. So, no, that's all great. But, um, what did it
2: like? It was, was crazy times. Yeah, I mean, we never it. thought we'd have that kind of success. It was uh, crazy. You know, we were getting calls from David Geffen and pretty much every record label at the time. and uh, Our managers
3: ah. came up and they had a meeting with all the parents, okay, at, <laughs> oh, at, I love at this. our I'm... house, okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're gonna love this. They sat down and, and all the parents came and they were all sitting in the living room of my house and our managers, Chris and Brad, told them, okay, this is what's happening to your, to your children. You know, and and it was an I think it was an attempt by them to, you know, to show that this was real, you know, and 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 we weren't just coming home and say oh yeah we're gonna get signed or whatever because I mean I think you know especially your you, dad being a musician. my dad being a musician he was very skeptical of the whole thing um, you know because you know that someone saying that inter-
1: we made sad music yeah, and his dad is, was from a world where sad like who wants to hear that well and also my my dad came from
3: a world where songwriters and the person who performed them were different people you know you someone would go out and uh, Sammy Kahn was the songwriter and you know then you know Tony Bennett was the singer and But it, this so, was 1989 I know I mean, but my got, dad got my world,
0: dad I mean there were a lot my of my dad bands would say to me generation. my dad would say
3: this fellow uh Springsteen, you know who who <laughs> writes his songs? I go, Dad. Bruce writes his own songs, really.
2: <laughs> you know, he
3: didn't get he didn't really he get missed that whole singer, Bob Dylan singer thing. song. Right? He didn't get that. So they had this meeting and they explained to them, I mean, we were all still, um, many of us were still in college and, but, you know, you, you, you kind of think that, you know, things are going in the right direction. It starts to pop, you know, and, and you think, wow, we, we might be about to get signed here, but then everything starts to go really slowly and it takes months and months and months. So.
0: But part of that was Todd, weren't you guys, it, it seemed to me that I remember talking to Chris about this a lot, who was your manager then, who I think. A big strength of Chris's was his lack of experience because he came from a different world mm-hmm. and was trying to protect the, he's, uh, the long-term future mm-hmm. of the band. And it seemed like you guys made certain choices to not take the most money you could up front, but instead, right? T- talk about the deal that you guys struck, not the money of it, but the idea that the record company ultimately, right? Y- your terms were the record company had to release
2: your two independent records one year As at a time. Is. Yeah. He, Chris was like a dad to us. You know, He was watching over us. And uh, even though he didn't have a lot of experience, he uh, he believed in us and fought for us. And uh, it was great, I think. Um, yeah, he
0: really got, he got the, the music. But it, why was it that you wanted... So at that time, record companies were paying a lot of money for bands like you. And um, you guys had offers that were like real sort of like... Big money offers if you would have if we made a new made record. A new record. That, yeah. And instead, because I think it's interesting, you guys understood early on, or it seemed to me from the from hearing it and, and even the result of it, that you had some understanding about trying to build it for a longer period of time.
2: Definitely. Where I did mean, we had from? offers of big advances and, and we turned them down in uh, exchange for a, a record company where we thought they were in it for the long haul, and they actually were, because uh, we didn't break until the third single on our third album. But looking back, I think Pale was our, our biggest mistake. I, wish, I think that record's pretty subpar, and uh, I wish we had gone and made a real record then.
0: You mean that you didn't put that second record yeah. out? We're,
2: but did all of you feel that way at the time?
0: Glenn, did you feel that way? Um, at the time, no. I mean, I can't listen to either of the first two
1: records now, but I, I think that the thing about those records that people love is that, I mean, no. how can I say this? Nobody wants to look at, like... Almost nobody wants to look at, like, naked pictures of themselves at 16. You know, uh, it, it's just, it's too revealing. It's too awkward. You're not fully done. But there's something about those records that are, they're so um, imperfect. They're so unadorned that there's there's a refreshing honesty to them, even for all their like deep, deep flaws, they're really flawed. If I, you know, I would redo absolutely everything on them. But that's probably why people like them is because they're they're revealing in a way that most records don't get to. Well, be. I think about a song like High on a Riverbed,
0: which is what on Pale, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's one of the best. That's one of the best. The, 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 there's songs. nothing
3: wrong with the songs. It's just kind of oh, like even it's. the
0: recording uh, that we just had, like, some
1: huge argument or something. Like, I was out in the, like, I remember that even the, the recording, it was just like. It that had song this in particular? Yeah, like, I was in a shit mood. It was really like that there was something about having to get in that mode. And I was just as dark as dark could be. Like when we cut it, and like, and so like, and the moments were the moments, right? We just walked in and played the song, and that was it. And so, I I love that about those albums, but I can never listen to them. <laughs> yeah, Pale's one of my favorite albums. Like, yeah, I've,
0: always yeah, Pal, like I've always had Pale. I've always had Pale on like every format that I could have that on. It's always mm-hmm. been um, with me. It's one of the ones that I go back to. Like, I go back to that more than Coil for mm-hmm. sure. Really. Um, you know, because of the sadness in it, I think. Because you know, you can, you, you of know, the you, yearning in you it. You
3: can perfect and perfect and overdub and, and, and clean up, you know, things forever. But, you know, and I'm sure that you experience this in, in filmmaking and in, in in your job as well. If you get the emotion right, the, most totally. of it's there.
0: Oh, 100%. If Especially if you get the emotion mm-hmm. in a way that the um, audience receives it. Yeah. It's one mm-hmm. thing for you to feel it. That doesn't matter as much, right? You feeling it when you're playing it right. matters less than me receiving it as the listener in yeah. a way. I mean to the to what, you're, but yeah, of course. If you can do that transfer of, of of the emotion in question to the to the to the fan receiving it, you've achieved something. And mm-hmm. for me there are songs that. and that it's funny what you just said about High on a Riverbed because I remember when we were young, I would ask you to play it, and you never wanted to play it. <laughs> and I I, I, I don't know why. Like I remember the first I think ten partially years, actually, because I couldn't.
1: Like I, I'm, I was such a ham-fisted guitarist. Now I can't play it because my hands paralyzed. But that, that whole.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to make you play it now. <laughs> it was just like...
1: Uh, but I would always screw up the, the picking of it. I couldn't play the part well enough.
0: Yeah, no, I remember. You always had a freighted relationship with that song. Yeah, It's kind have of you... like
1: an Elton John song, yeah. but done It is. Very Do you mellow. guys play
0: it? In, have you played it in concert? You know, we, we were playing
3: there. it a bit um, a couple of years ago. We pulled oh, it out. the like 25th
1: yeah. anniversary. Back to the I mean quickly on the, the deal it. though, I think there was also And the live money too. They had to support you on tour, right? They did a little bit of tour. We were off tour support pretty quickly. We were a cheap band. Our our thing was we took very little money up front for um for the licensing of the first two records and we took only a recording expense advance for for Fear and for Dulcinea. We didn't take any like money to live off or anything we got a higher than normal royalty rate because we wanted to earn it but even with that i mean people were spending you know two hundred thousand dollars on videos those days so even with that we sold a million and a half records and we still had never seen a royalty check and we were the cheapest band on sony so um there was but a big part of it for us too was we came with this kind of you know indie and people think of us as a pop band, I think, because All I Want hit at this time when radio had just opened, but we had a really punk rock ethos. I mean, we came from the indie world. Like, when Todd and I started playing songs, it was, you know, there was... You know, it was Dinosaur Jr., Husker Du, Replacements, like that. REM,
0: yeah, REM was in there. REM that.
1: was in there, and that was when REM was an indie band before our, you know, and everybody was dealing with this idea of what do you do when college music goes mainstream. And, and you know, the 90s was this weird period I was thinking about it in terms of like film placement and stuff. Uh, there's a reason that Walking on Sunshine gets placed, and like, you know, Pearl Jam doesn't as much because all the songs from that era, they're just like, they're like all about how hard life is. It's all negative ideation. And you can't find as, you can find specific placement. Uh, Maybe I'm still alive, but not Jeremy, right? (laughs) For Pearl Jam. But it's like in that way, like when we got into it, there was this definite, like we're going to earn what we make. We don't want hits. Radio's stupid. Like, we had this. We hated very all
2: those metal bands, especially that were on the radio, you know? Like, Warrant, I mean, rest Yeah, peace, we hated those uh, guys. Jamie, but like, so, we were kind yeah. of rebelling against that whole thing in a way.
0: Right. But then, but some of you guys did want commercial, like, the commercial success.
2: Sure. But even
1: making Fear, it's like I wanted to make like a, a Tears for Fears or a Peter Gabriel or a Talk Talk record. Like that's what, where, you know, it's like, oh, we got these, I loved these, you know, Kate Bush, I love these big crazy. Talk Talk was
0: Dumb Dumb Girl, right? Didn't they have that song?
1: Oh, well, they were, yeah, but they were also, well, there's It's My Life, but there was also Laughingstock and, uh, and, uh, and Spirit of Eden, which are just masterpieces of
0: weirdness. But you're saying those were what was in your head? Yeah, you those bands yeah. had
1: great production and, you know, Good songs, and so we, when we headed in to make that, we actually almost didn't put "Walk on the Ocean" or "Good and in, Good Intentions." Didn't make the right. No, good, good Intentions wasn't on was until we, we were like whatever, they're too right. pop. We can't have them. We're not. That I think in "All I man. Want," you almost didn't.
0: All put I on want. The exactly. And so
1: off. there was. We were trying to make like a big production, but still an indie record. We were. We were anti-single, uh, and
2: it didn't. It, it and all did you feel the, the way same way about that? Were you? Yeah, for sure. Single too. I, those were my two f- uh, least favorite songs, um, although I've grown to like All I Want. But yeah, we, we're definitely uh, not happy with those. And we wanted to go a different direction, but, it's, but we saw what it did for us. And uh, they're still good songs. I'm really grateful for it at this point. Yeah, I mean, for the fact that yeah, the whole the audience we're still sings here. along
0: to those songs. It is what, and also, they were both those songs... I remember both of those songs, the versions that got released are slightly different than the versions on the album, right? There was a yeah, single they had mix. Sent them to yeah, Michael and Brower Rock Walk in the Ocean has an extra chorus on it on the.
3: Yeah, both of those were remixes yep. for radio. By like
0: a Lord Ald- Chris Lord Algebra? No, that was of those? Uh, Michael, it? Michael Brower. Michael
3: Brower, who's a great mixer. You he know? mixed but both of them? The, yeah, he did both mm-hmm. of those, but at the time it was shocking.
0: Oh, what and he had, were what so he had
3: done we were so livid. We but, couldn't you know, stand it. But they both sound terrific on the radio, and that's kind of what we didn't get you know There's a certain presentational aspect of these mixes. you know, when it hits that compression and goes out over the radio waves, and finally makes it into the tinny little speakers in your Honda, you know, you you want it to, you want it to come up. Well, across. that
0: last chorus on "Walk in the Ocean," I mean, you need like you, you need want that. that
3: chorus, yeah, yeah. 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 And I'm and sure it was a big help.
1: But it was a strange, it was a strange era because the biggest bands at that time, and you look like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, you're Counting Crows, even right, are all bands. Who refused to play their singles live or mangled their singles live and had this like strong, like self-sabotaging anti-commercial thing? They're all on major labels. I mean, we all agreed to be on a major label, and then we all pretended like, well, I didn't sign up for this. I don't want. I didn't want anybody to hear me.
0: Uh, right, <laughs> but you weird, had genuine. I mean, you did have disease. a genuine like. Glenn, I mean, you did have a. a uh, you genuinely were of two minds about this stuff. Like, yeah. I mean, we had a lot of like late, all night long conversations. It's deeply conflicted. Where I remember seeing you guys at, at this huge show, um, in L.A. somewhere, you'd played a, a gigantic show, and and afterwards, I was talking to you, and you were compl- You were just like something about looking into those faces of the people, looking at you, for answers, like bothered you in a way. It's a weird.
1: Uh, that that amount of, like, attention and reflection is is really hard. I mean, I'm a, I am don't know why I'm bringing up this story. I recorded a friend of mine who's a brilliant musician and also, um, you know, bipolar. And I co-wrote and produced a song with him and just spent, like, two 12-hour days. He was in a dark space. And I went into a two-week depression after it just because I'm porous. And yes. I, and I don't have, like, really good defenses against stuff coming into me and so all that attention just it, and wanting to you know I always deeply distrusted fame I'm really happy I met my wife when I was 18 you know before the band took off like I had my friends I had my I had my support of people I knew and trusted that knew me for me and that was always really important and I saw a lot of people would get lost in all that you know external reflection um, and there's there. People, I mean, it's one of the things I've admired about you. you. You grew up being able to feel like yourself wherever you were, whether you're hanging out with you know, CEOs, actors, whatever. You can be with the most powerful people in the world and act exactly the same as you act if you go to a dive bar and you're going to start a conversation. You're fascinated by people and you know who you are. I'm a little more wishy-washy <laughs> and so I get um, and, and so the the protection I think of myself from all that input and just the weirdness of the situation and feeling like a really unfinished human being uh, it's strange having all these people look at you
0: yeah and I remember it would frustrate me so much watching you go through that because I wanted you to become Jackson Brown like I wanted the band to become to keep going I saw that you're this ambivalence was was yeah, totally sabotaged you. the career, too. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I, I mean, think it had a, and I'm, yeah. I mean, I, I've always wondered like how you guys understood that or grappled with it or if you had any of the same feelings or not
3: you know, part of it's, you know, Glenn's in a different
0: position and because he's, because is totally he's writing these words
3: and you know, like, like he said, you know, people looking at you for the answers, you know, but you don't want them, you know, I, hopefully they don't, they don't think you have all the answers. I think it's okay for people to look at you and, and be like someone else is is going through the same things I am and I'm not alone. And it, you know, and that feeling of community that can come from people hearing words and, and, and the songs and bringing people together. Um, you know, it's it's always different for the lead singer and especially the lead uh, writer on stuff, you know? Yeah. Yes. Um, it was, you know, I, I I think we were all pretty supportive of, of everything
0: yeah, well, that was it's, going It's, on. it's funny because Walk on the Ocean, when you think about it, the bittersweet, the thing about the song, which I'd love you guys to play, even though Todd, you don't like the song. Um, <laughs> walk <in> the <laughs> ocean, I love. No, well, I thought you said that those are your two. Oh, good intentions. Oh, good. Okay. I think Walk on the Ocean's like the great. You know, no, just, it's one of my favorites. Um, but to me, like lyrically, you know, the ambivalence of these kinds of fleeting moments of touching somebody's being emotions, and then you know, your own sort of like um, overarching idea that they'd already forgotten we came. Uh, You know, that this idea um, really, and it was before you became really famous as a band, in a way, one of the two things that made you that famous. It's almost like you were forecasting what was gonna happen in a way.
1: Perhaps.
0: (laughs) Yeah, even though you wrote it in seven minutes and it was from your subconscious. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. And, and, I mean, yeah, even All I Want is just, is, you know, this song about how fleeting, you know, epiphany kind of landing in and everything feeling right for an instant and then kind of going back to the rough grain of life, right? (laughs) And so um, it's almost a feel-good song. It's a a feel-good-for-a-moment song. (laughs) I see. I find
0: Walk on the Ocean, though, is an always feel-good song because it... uh, allows for the fact that those moments are real. And yeah. they linger. And the truth is, by dint of the fact that you wrote the song, um, every, everything that happened to that song, everyone in that song is still connected. Those emotions mm-hmm. still live every time that you play it. And, and yeah. right before you play, I'd say, I'd ask you this. When you're on stage now and you're looking out at all these people who are with you for all this time now, and that everybody made it out and made it through, Mm-hmm. Does it must? Ge- I wonder, Does that give you when you uh, seeing them now, looking at you, having kids, basically kids the age they were then? Does it? Does that feel good to you? It feels great. I mean, I have a really
1: different, you know, thank God for growing up, right? I have a really different attitude towards it, and there's a part of me that even rebelled a long time because you know I'm still a songwriter, you know, against the idea of nostalgia, right? and that uh, you know taking every time somebody would say I love Walk on the Ocean I, I would think of, I would I would hear I hate everything you've written since the band broke up and you know that's how I would interpret it I completely relate to that crappy way to inter- like it's like but what about yeah every time
0: somebody Rounders time whenever somebody would meet Dave and me and they would go oh my god Rounders is my favorite movie of all time I would absolutely think like yeah, dude. But we've made like ten things, since and they're so much better. Like, we're so much better. And there's all now. these things. Like, but then somewhere ten years in, I realized, no, no, that's great. That's it's great. great. It was a beginning for all of us, and then you're along for the ride. But I completely relate to that idea of um, the 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 duality of what that feels like. Yeah.
1: And and I've been thinking of a lot. I mean, you know, whole other conversation. But I've been doing for like over two years now doing. Um, like these community singing, choir leading things. I've been leading leading people in song and just get, wanted to do something that was completely non-commercial. And I found outlets for that and done a lot of examining how music works, right? How, how music sits in people and what it provides for them and where it takes them. And it's allowed me to come back into the band and really kind of expand my vision instead of thinking, God, I you know, sometimes I could be, are people locked in the past? Why do they want? And, and then really understanding like how music works in the body, and the mind that when you step back, especially for the songs you heard in your twenties, when I think you had a knowledge of yourself, but not a whole lot of experience yet. You hadn't been knocked down a bunch of times. And in middle age, you come back to some of that feeling of exactly that same core that you knew was true in your twenties. But with a little bit of resilience, having gone through, having, having added some wisdom to it. And that those songs from that period speak to you again in a way in a that's different like. different way. In a different way. But it's like I knew then who I was. And in, in the same way a smell or a taste brings you back, like music has this way of transporting you. And especially if you're regaining your sense of self. Which I a think lot of re- us do in
0: our like fo- late 40s and 50s. Yeah, weirdly. the
1: return to that is, is a really valid expression. And so I, I've you know, I've gone you know, I've gone through my own craziness with it, but right, these days, I'm really deeply grateful and I love how much heart our audience has. and I, we're lucky. I mean, and maybe every band says this, but like there are so many bands where you know, people show up for the single. And they get excited about the single. and then, and then But with us, like every deep track, everything that's kind of more emotional and more harder to find, people lean forward into it, sing every word. They're, they're really there.
0: hundred. That's 100% yeah,
1: true. Yeah, it, make, it makes me really proud of what we've done. All right, So will you guys play uh, Walk in the Ocean?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's
2: see if we tune here. Two.
4: We spotted the ocean. Head of the trail And where are we going So far away Somebody told me This is the place Where everything's better And everything's safe Walk on the ocean Step on the stones Flesh becomes water Wood becomes bone Half an hour later We packed up our things Said we'd send letters all of those little things They knew we were lying Smile just the same It seemed that already Forgotten we'd care Walk on the ocean Step on the stone. Flesh becomes water. Wood becomes bone. Walk on the ocean. Step on the stone. Flesh becomes water. Wood becomes bone. The air makes you chore and people don't know you. Trust is a joke. We don't even have pictures, just memories to hold that grow sweeter each season as we slowly grow.
0: I got a text two nights ago from a friend who said, I'm listening to the podcast and just rewind it to hear you talk about The New Yorker again. And the reason is, as I always say, there's nothing more fun to talk about than The New Yorker. I've been reading it for as long as I can remember. Why? Because The New Yorker represents the best writing in America today. Beyond publishing the best writers, they hold people in power accountable through rigorous reporting and compelling storytelling. Look, online and in print, The New Yorker covers a full range of topics, politics, news, food, climate change, pop culture, and the arts. They write so well. Look, look. here's the thing. When I read The New Yorker, I always come away feeling like I know not just more, but I know more in depth uh, with a point of view about stuff that I didn't really know about before. I mean, they have uh, incredible writers. Look, I would tell you that I think Emily Nussbaum is one of the best critics in the world even if she didn't love Billions. The fact that she does means I'm gonna mention her right here. Uh, Doreen St. Felix, the staff writer of The New Yorker, who covers the highs and lows of today's culture. She won the L. Award for columns and commentary. There are uh, more and more, I mean, my pal, Helen Rosner, who writes about food uh, and what it means in the culture. Look, The New Yorker is quite simply, the finest collection of writers and articles, stories, voices we need to engage with right now. So here's the offer. 12 weeks for just six bucks, it's regularly 12, plus the New Yorker tote bag. Home delivery, the print edition each week, unlimited access to newyorker.com with 10 to 15 exclusive site-only stories every day. You get access to the apps, the online archive, the crossword puzzle and more. Get 12 weeks of the New Yorker, for just six bucks plus the exclusive tote, go to New slash Moment. Listeners save fifty percent when they enter moment. The this song while they're trying to while you guys are figuring it out. Why don't you tell us the story of the moment? I'm just right. Well, no, I mean this was originally this was a ri- this song was originally the theme song of the podcast. And then for some like the original place that I did the podcast for. At a certain point, we're like, Well, you can't play this record. So I wasn't able to to do it. That's what that's the reason that it's not the theme. Then you wrote a letter saying that we could, but it was like too late already. But that um the first however many episodes of the podcast, like thirty of them, I think, had the song The Moment as the theme song. And then um because when you were making that record, I I heard a lot of iterations of that album he shared, a lot of like steps along the right way. There? How many of these like have you done? 300 or something yeah. like that. Wow. Um, I'm not sure exactly, but something like yeah. three. I mean, I've been doing it for five years. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know. You know exactly where I sleep and when. <laughs> I go to sleep early all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you want to play? So it would be great if you guys played The Moment. Because yeah. I love this song. And it's a recent song. And it shows that you guys haven't lost a step.
1: All right, let's try it.
4: Shane doesn't become you there are no mistakes in the final view no blame how could it be so wrong that your heart was braver than your will was strong Every path you follow, there's another left behind Every door you don't keep open, there's a million more to try Everything you taught me, here's the one I learned the best There is nothing but the moment, don't you waste it on regret I'll go who we have to be we just get by forget what you need just know that I don't need to fit in is there room for you in your life with him for every path you follow There's another left behind Every door you don't kick open There's a million more to try And everything you taught me Is the one I learned the best There is nothing but the moment Don't you waste it on regret It's out of my hand Out of my hand But I miss my friend, I miss my friend So this is the price I'm gonna But I'm not sorry Oh no.
0: Great, awesome. Uh, Todd, h- how have, do you think you guys have learned, people always ask me this question about collaboration, and uh, how have you guys learned over the years to talk better creatively and not allow the little slights or, or hurts to sort of like manifest? Do you Are you consciously communicating with each other in a different way? Is it just a function of getting older?
2: Yeah, a lot of it's just getting older and realizing that it's not the end of the world. Um, You know, and uh, uh, God, that's a tough question. Yeah, we don't. People ask me about it much. You don't. That's hilarious. (laughs) (laughs) That's the answer.
0: Not talking. (laughs) Basically, too much. (laughs) Yeah. What do you think, Glenn? I mean, I I think
1: increasingly, I I think there's periods where. There, you know there's sometimes in bands you know I don't know yeah una- unavoidable conflicts I think in general the, the we've already always been pretty clear and you know not always 100 percent but pretty clear that what everybody wants is the best song possible and that like that's been the meeting ground so when there's disagreements and you know uh, and as years go by I think people check I think there's less territorial pissing than there was at some earlier times but it was never bad i mean i i feel like there was always i've always been a massive fan of todd's songs yes. and he i think he has always has liked, liked mine and we've had you know we have our disagreements but we want to make the best album we can and that's always been kind of job number
2: one and so um
1: just yeah. not
2: communicating when you know things will get bad
0: <laughs> you mean making the choice not to say the thing exactly that's really very hard to do when you're young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And as you get older, you realize, like, let's see if this still bothers me in a week. It's we A week goes much quicker. Yeah. Doesn't it? Mm-hmm. For me, it does anyway now. <sighs> yep. So it's like, let's see if in a week I'm still feeling this way. And then...
1: Yeah. But knowing when to let things go is good. I mean, it's a strange... We're, as a band, a lot of our writing process is you know often been uh in kind of a slow burn in the background as opposed to hammering it all out in in rehearsal in
2: separate r- rooms too you know him at his house me at my house sending tapes you know over i go email. work on the lyrics alone. you know bring them back and you know it's like we've never sat down in a room and hashed it out maybe back in the old days i don't think we bit. ever just wrote a song in no room we together, always had ever. recording yeah Right, that's amazing. Right, you guys have never actually just
0: sat with two guitars and written no a song.
3: He'll he doesn't even like to show me a song idea if it's only got one guitar part. Like he'll do a demo with two or three guitar parts before it always he plays has to it. have two guitars. Always has to have at least
0: two. Right before he'll even share before, before the music even, with you. Before
3: he'll, before he'll even show it to me.
0: Right, and then at some point you will show it to. Glenn. Yeah. Yeah. I do a lot of uh, working with
2: Dean. Yeah. No.
0: Uh, to get it to a certain place. and yeah, then, He's a good producer. Yes. Always. Always been a good producer and arranger. Um, w- Todd. One thing I don't know if you know. Like. Uh, Glenn always talks about you uh, with a certain kind of awe about your ability to get good at everything. I'm sure he probably doesn't say it to you, but he says he said it to me forever. Like and it is true, like when you decided to get good at golf, you got great at golf. you want to build guitars, you like build the coolest looking guitars. You decided you were gonna lose weight, you just were like, well, that's that. Like what is it that allows what do you think it is? How, do you have a technique for this shit? Like because it is incredible. like you are able when you put your mind to something, like you um, most are of that able- stuff
2: you mentioned is just hobbies, and i'm I'm a I love hobbies. I always have, you know, I was always.
1: Skateboarding, tinkerer. surfing. <laughs> I but, would like buy a no, skateboard. I, I I'm the kind of person who would buy a skateboard or get a membership to something and then feel like, okay, that's
2: done.
0: right? Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: like you seem to go everything deep, I, I, I want to do it professionally, everything I do. <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to be a professional surfer.
1: Right. I mean, guitar is kind of a hobby. I mean, it's the other thing. It's like a thing you like to do, so you do it really well and get good at You know,
2: it happens to be the job, but it's like... Guitar is probably the least thing you know the thing i'm least good at (laughs) is playing guitar but
0: making them you're really good at making them
2: yeah it's more design but yeah what do you mean it's more design just coming up with i don't you know come up with new shapes or anything i'm using the fender shape yes they're parts casters and uh so it's, it's just a hobby i could i wanted better guitars than i could buy and cheaper so i just started doing it myself and then other people started to want them and uh just went from there
0: yeah, your Instagram. What's your? Is it just your name?
2: Your Instagram. Uh, Nichols Guitars is Instagram, but Nichols Custom Guitars is the website. People should check it out. The guitars are gorgeous. I stare They're at amazing. those
0: guitars. They're just Thanks. incredible. Are you all playing them on tour? I'm playing a Nichols bass. <laughs> Is he gonna uh, give as, it to you? Will he give it to you? Or do you got to buy it?
3: No, actually, we're gonna sell that one, and then we're gonna make a special one for me afterward. Oh, done.
0: that's awesome! Oh, you're gonna sell the one that you play. I'm gonna sell the one I that don't... I
3: play. See, because it's got my, you know.
0: Uh huh. The my magic. Funk, my funk He's all over it. Yeah, it's got it, the know, magic. People, people. I brought. Want, uh, want i think, funk.
2: eight, nine guitars out on the road, and I've sold four of them. After the shows. After the show, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll just, because I don't need that many guitars. <laughs> That's awesome, but but uh, how much
0: time do you put? Like, is it when you get into one of these grooves, does it become like the center of your life for a period of time?
2: Yeah, I got a workshop studio, and I just go out there and pretty much work all day.
0: So on the guitars, or when you were getting good at golf, it was like every day you were playing. Yeah, yeah,
2: or even fishing. I was fishing, fly fishing so much, I got tennis elbow. <laughs>
0: Right.
1: so and when uh, you that's in high when school, I started
2: like, building the guitars is because I couldn't fish anymore.
1: He would play hooky, would skip school. His mom would get a call and he'd be home tying flies, you know?
2: Right. Yeah, that was one of my first jobs.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's just an amazing thing. So you're worth following because like, we'll see what the next hobby is. Do you then keep them? Like, are you still good at golf or are you not good anymore?
2: Oh, I've got, I need a knee replacement. <laughs> oh, so you can't play? I could, but not as well as I'd like to. I got to get back on Union... Uh, Got to figure out how to get back on union health insurance. All right. I, I, uh, I got to let you
0: guys go because it's been a long time. Do you want to leave us with one more song? You can pick whatever you want to play.
3: Yeah. What do you want to do? Um, Would it behoove us to play all I want? Sure.
0: And let's let you go yeah. out on this. But let me just say thank you guys. I will say um, it's very special to me to have you here and to be looking at uh, all of you because I see you at this age and I see you at 20 years old uh, at the same time. And it's uh, it's heavy in the best possible in the best possible way. So, thank you uh, Thanks so for having to see you Play all brand. I want and uh, everyone go see Sword the What's when they come through your town and go listen. Uh, I was so heartened to see today that you guys get 600,000 plays, more than 600,000 plays a month on Spotify. Wow. I mean that's an amazing thing that you made these records so long ago and that you're getting 600,000 plays a month on Spotify. That is Feels good. staggering millions of plays, millions and millions and millions of plays. Um, a year, which means that people are still finding your great music and loving it. We're starting
3: to see some younger faces showing up at the shows as well, I'm not sure just
0: coming with their parents. Really? Some people in their 40s? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. That's All right. <laughs> play, play one more. Yeah, and, uh, guys, go listen to Toad. See everybody.
4: nothing so loud. It's here and when we lie. Truth is not kind. You said, neither am I Yeah, outside so soft Saying everything Everything All I want is to feel this way Be this close, feel the same All I want is to feel this way Evening speaks, feel it. Nothing's so cold, it's closing the heart, and all we need is to free the soul. We wouldn't be that brave, I know air yeah, outside so song confessing everything everything
0: See Toad the Wet Sprocket, uh, buy their records, stream their records. If you want to contact me, pk@gmail.com or um, uh, on Twitter at Brian Koppelman. They're on Twitter. Glenn's on there and on music. Instagram. Uh, Dean's on Instagram at Dean. What's your Instagram?
3: Uh, just my name, Dean Dinning.
0: So you can find Dean there and the official Toad the Wet Sprocket uh, handle on Twitter. Thanks, guys. See you soon. You. Everybody, see you next time.